Praise be to God. We're in our second week of Travel Light. It's a series that when we're thinking about the topic and praying over it, this, this message in particular is one that really I was excited about as we open God's Word together and see how God's really shaping us, influencing us, using us in this time, in this culture. And this theme of traveling light. Our world is not our home, and there's just so many distractions. This week we're talking about distractions. Last week was stuff, letting go of stuff so that we could grasp Jesus and things that would not, we wouldn't, we wouldn't lose when we invest in, in heaven. And uh, sorry, just one second. Oh, good job from last service. This is a distraction. See what I did there? Didn't, didn't really work. Last service, man, they're a lot more awake. You guys were like, oh, we got to excuse them. Isn't it crazy? When you pick up the phone, psychologically, I'm already disengaging from you, and you're probably doing the same. You're like, dude, this pastoral loser. He came and just put his phone down. He's in the pulpit. Heresy. What are the elders doing? Rake him off the stage. Distractions. I'll never forget the first time we as a family, because I'm, I'm, I'm the millennial, the token millennial, kind of the family, the younger, and, and so I had the iPhone first, and sold the Blackberry out of necessity. That ball just couldn't scroll anymore. If you're in that generation, it's like you got the ball and the lint gets in there, it's over. So we're sitting there in living room and all of a sudden phones start coming out and it's like, oh, I'm not the token money. Everyone's got iPhones and everyone starts searching stuff. And it's the, the, the tone. I'll never forget that. I was like, ah, oh, I love not having the Blackberry and having the iPhone, but I hate what it's done to our family. All of a sudden, we're at the beach house in Balboa, and it's this amazing vacation we used to have every time, and it's FaceTime, and we're talking story, and having, and all of a sudden the phones come out, and screens, and it just, and there's distractions all around us. Every week, every service, there's unlimited potential for distractions. You hear crying kids, or someone opens a bag of chips, I don't know why you have a bag of chips this early in the morning, but that happens, you know, and there's a box of donuts in the back, and my mind goes, hey, what donuts are in there? I wonder how come I didn't get one. Maybe there's going to be one left for me after the service. Hopefully it's a buttermilk, but probably not, because no one even cares and buys those. No one even knows that I like donuts and buttermilks only and saves me one. It's okay, it's okay. But there's, a, you know, maybe you understand now why I get a little loud sometimes and try and wake out the, the poor guy that had the night shift and he's falling asleep and I'm trying to wake him up and keep him engaged and there's all these distractions. And it's fun when people get on stage and they realize the lights are actually, yes, that bright and they do cause a little distraction at times if you get your eyes a little high. And there's everything and anything, often good things, that distract us. Distraction, I looked it up, it's a word derived in, from Latin in 1590s, and it means pulling apart, separating, drawing of the mind in different directions. Perfect, beautiful definition. I thought maybe I had ADD, attention deficit disorder, I just have a disorder of distraction. It's, all, it's just my mind gets split and it's going crazy in all these different directions, and oftentimes I go outside to do A project and I'm already on C EFG projects, and it just skipped A. It just didn't even register, got distracted, and it's pulling apart. And more importantly, Satan and all of hell throws at all of the resources at distracting you. Because if he can't destroy you, his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. And if he can't destroy you, if, if you're God's and his spirit's in you and God saved you, well, then he'll just distract you and let you destroy yourself. 
by dividing your heart, discouraging your soul, disengaging your faith, isolation. If he can just get you isolated, if the devil can keep you distracted, then there's no longer a need for him to destroy you because inevitably you're going to destroy yourself. We see this all throughout Scripture where he just gets the people of God distracted and gets their eyes off of God, onto their situation, onto themselves. And we do it continually still unless you've learned God's heart and seen God's ways through Scripture. You, 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 you're tempted to ask the same questions. Why? Why is this happening? Or you start getting complacent and you're like, like Judas who's hanging out with Jesus for three years and all of a sudden it's like, hey, what's uh, over coffee one day, Sadducees are like, hey, what's your price? Judas is like, what? Like, Everyone has a price. What's your price to give us the dirt on Jesus? 30 pieces of silver? I could get a, you know, 2009, I could get a 93 Tacoma pre-runner for, five, for 30 pieces of silver. That's a good deal. Yeah, I'll sell out Jesus for that. I did the numbers when I was a youth pastor. I was like, that's pretty pathetic. Like, for the price of a Tacoma, you sell out Jesus. Like, a used, that's lame. Then you go through all of Scripture. Abraham gets distracted. Yeah, Sarah, that's a good idea. I'll hang out with your, your concubine. That's a good deal. David's supposed to be at war. He's on the rooftop. Hey, there's another guy's wife. Distracted. All through, we see people of God Distracted. Naaman comes to Elisha. Elisha tells him, hey, just go wash in the river three times. You'll be healed of leprosy. Naaman comes back. Oh, man, that was awesome. I was humble. I was prideful. I didn't want to do it. Went and washed. Now I'm healed. And he's like, hey, I want to pay you. I want to give you all this money. And, and Elisha says, no, God heals for free. Get out of here. You're good. Go praise God. And his intern, Gehazi, has greed. He's like, oh, I'm distracted. You have the most amazing mentor, Elisha, after he comes from Elijah, doing these amazing works of God, and then instead of following God, he follows Naaman because he wants the money. And it's like, hey, give me the money you're going to give to Elisha. He actually changes his mind and lies about it. So then Gehazi and all of his descendants have the leprosy curse. And he was greedy and he got distracted. Probably the best picture of this distraction is given by Jesus' best friend, Lazarus, his sisters. They go to town, and we pick up the story in Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 10, the back of the book. Matthew, Mark, Luke, if you've gone to John, flip back. And, and Jesus and his disciples are going, and chapter 10, verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, we read that and we're like, oh, she opened the door. She went, he went inside. In that culture, and still today, they don't have in and outs. It's not like, oh, we're having guests over. Oh, do we go to Taco Roco for the taco platter? We go in and out. We're going to go for food. We, what's the fridge look like? Oh, we haven't hit up traders after church on Sunday. It's pretty bare. They didn't do that. It was always stocked, always ready to go to have the Thanksgiving feast that you dream of every time a guest walks in. They're just like, boom, get out the stop. So, that's why Martha's opens her home. It's like, okay, we got soups going in the crock pot. We got the casseroles. We got the turkey coming out of the oven. We got the pumpkin pie going. We got all this stuff going. And oh my goodness, I didn't switch the laundry. The, the wrong towels are in the bath. They don't match the, match the, the drapes. And the, we got all this stuff going. And that's why you see the tension open up her home. She has a sister called Mary. And what's Mary doing? Martha's like running laps, whoa, 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 doing all that stuff, getting everything ready, putting the dishes out, getting everyone's tea filled up, topped off. And there's Mary sitting down. Mary sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to what he has to say. In verse 40, Martha was distracted 
by all the preparations she had that had to be made. All the preparations to open up your home, to house Jesus, the 12, plus anyone else that wandered in. And, and it's a full service diner going all on Martha. And she's like, I have one person to help me because obviously Lazarus wasn't any good. He's not even mentioned. Who, where's La- he's probably hanging out, you know? And he's like, well, Martha's here. Let's go. I'm working. Where's Mary? The table has to be just right. Everything's going. And we see after all that happens, she comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, I got a question. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus responds, so kind and patient. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about so many things. But one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Another translation says, Mary chose what is better. Every family has a Mary. And if you're thinking right now, and you can't think of one, it's probably you. They're the one who doesn't bring a dish to the family dinners, but they bring Tupperware or aluminum foil to take the leftovers home. And Martha wasn't doing anything bad or wrong. She gets a little, you know, takes a little hit, but she's not doing anything bad or wrong. She just wasn't doing what was best. So often it's not what is bad versus good, but it's what is best. And Martha got to experience when God in the flesh comes in, don't be so preoccupied with all the things you have to do that you miss who's sitting before you. But we have to honor the Marthas because so often it's easy to read that and go, oh man, like I'm with Mary. I would have been just beside myself, like yeah, whatever. Anything else can wait. Like we'll get, someone else will get a refill. I want to hang with, with Jesus. But, but the reality is the Marthas in the room, we're thankful for you because without you, we wouldn't be eating on time. Like, there we never eat. It's like, I don't know, just so go walk down to Taco Bell. It's all, find some change on the sofa, maybe. We'll see. Maybe there's a French fry under the, under the seat of the car. Like, we've got to shuffle kids around. But they eat, we eat on time because of the Marthas. The bills are paid. Gifts are wrapped under the tree. The house is clean. So the Marthas, you, you're doing the good things. And without you, we would not be where we are. Sometimes the toughest choices aren't about good or bad. But what's best? It's about what is good and what's best. And so a couple thoughts as we think about this and going into Christmas season, one of the most, one of the most just culturally figures in the nativity that's just a staple. You know, I watched this little video this week and I was busting up and it was this British kid and he was just beside himself. He was in this Christmas play and his mom's like, oh, what role did you get? He's like, oh, I got one of the just one of the key lead roles, like a classic, and, and that was like his, I got a classic role, I got a classic role, and it was this British accent, it was super cute, and she's like, yeah, what'd you get? He's like, I got a classic role. I'm the third doorkeeper in the inn. It's a classic role, like lead role. I'm like, that's not even a part, but they kind of, there's, yeah, they just made that a position for this poor kid, and he's like, oh, I'm so, I didn't think I was gonna get it, but I got it, I'm so, it's gonna be awesome, it's gonna be great. The wise men. They always just rush them in when the infant's there. And it's like, whoa, 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 hold up. If you've read God's word, they were in a culture and in a time where they shouldn't know God. They shouldn't have even cared about God, much less studying, waiting, killing and destroying any distraction so laser-focused 
and doing math. If, if you're like me and you're in school, any students in here, and you're like, dude, any subject but math. Like, I'll write and figure out English, but math, no. And these guys were, were I got to hit pause because we'll hit them in the point two. But they knew their math. They knew the prophecy and God and his mercy and grace revealed to them so they could be waiting and they could eliminate the distraction and then go focus on Jesus as they found him. So first thing is destroying the distractions. Paul tells the church in Corinth, which was full of sinful problems and challenges, he's telling them, you guys, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any weight or restraint on you, but to promote good order to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. The, the moment I realized my schedule is untamed, it's, it's unruly, it's, it's causing problems for me because I, I say yes all the time and it's awesome when you say yes because people like you and it's like, oh, it's a good exchange. I say yes, you like me and I can serve you. The problem is I realize there's a, only a limited amount of time in a day and I can't meet with everybody, I can't help everybody, so I had to learn how to say no and, and it's being orderly with our days and, and having those boundaries. And so we have this eliminating distractions because all these good things will sometimes keep you from the best thing. And so often they do. So you have to have this, this reality and understanding of what God's called you to. And the biggest thing in our day, is even in the millennial generation, once the, the cell phones were introduced, there was this trinity, the Father, Son, and then the Holy Cell Phone. You just pick up your phone and all of a sudden, it's, instead of asking, hey, what does God think? Let's go to his word. You say, what does Google think? And then Siri came along. And now it's, hey, what, hey Siri, how do I get home? Hey, Siri, where are my keys? And she's like, I don't know, you idiot. Like, come on, figure your life out. They should have like preloaded just critical things. But anyways, now I'm distracted. The average pick person picks up their phone every five minutes. Over 200 times a day, of non-productive swiping, tapping, scrolling, your relationships are struggling, you're like, oh, I wonder why, I better go to the phone to figure out why my relationships are struggling because I have a cell phone. You're not close to God and yet you're close to your cell phone. It's the first thing you grab in the morning, the last thing you touch before you go to sleep. You're in bed at night, your spouse face is glowing, not by the Holy Ghost, but by your cell phone. And it's crazy. When you think about it, I remember, again, it's like, the cell phone has been more disruptive than helpful and more destructive than, than building up. When I went to my, my lead pastor, when I was a youth pastor, I got invited to go to Israel. And I said, hey, I want to go to Israel. It'll be a great trip. He said, yeah, you can go, but you have to do a book report. I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? I already got my master's in theology degree. Well, I thought I'm done. I do sermons. I don't book. So there's a book on how technology is going to change our mind and our emotions and that was so helpful, but also uh, discouraging. And, and it's crazy as I've done sermons and done research over the years for youth and parents and like, hey, guard your phone, put boundaries on it. But this blew me away that as we've grown more used to and then TikTok shows up and there's Twitter that's now X and there's all these evol evolutions with social media over four hours a day. So you only get 20 hours of your 24 day now because you gave four hours on average to social media. I know you're better than that, so you probably only use an hour a day. Okay, good job. But that's not counting news, stocks, emails, texts, games, Netflix, Amazon Prime, whatever else you do on your phone. It's like, oh, sweet, I'm free. I, I play Fortnite on my phone. No, that's included too. The new number, it used to be seven years. Now it's nine years are shaved off your life. Nine years. Students, you're going to shave off nine years of your life because of this stupid thing. 
Brandon, I'm going to shave off nine years because of this thing. Like, oh my goodness. Talk about a distraction we need to destroy, not just tolerate. Scrolling, clicking, looking at cat pictures, thinking, oh, I could have, my cat's way fluffier. I'm going to take my own and post it and hopefully I get more likes. We feel unimportant. feel like people have better vacations. They just are better at Photoshop than you. Don't feel too bad, okay? Don't waste your time trying to Photoshop yourself somewhere with a photo on Google Earth. It's not, it's not worth it. Wondering why you never seem to measure up. I remember when Apple came out with screen time, it was like, oh, I am that bad. I do touch my phone that often and I'm on it that... And then I was like, well, I'm not that bad because I'm on the Bible. I have my Bible app, my Bible study program on my phone. I'm reading the Bible. It's all good. No, there's still the reality of... Facebook Marketplace or other distractions and dings, and then it's how many days are we giving to just uselessness, needlessness, tapping, swiping, scrolling, looking. The most important thing I can share with you is God's given you a purpose and a plan to build his kingdom and and to receive his love and then extend that love to others. And here's the problem with our cell phones is as actually the studies show that long-term stress comes from these devices, it's this cortisol levels go through the roof because we're, if you've ever lost your phone, you know what it's like. I'm already feeling the stress just having it that far away from me. And it's like sometimes my wife will grab it to do some photos and it's this reaction. And she's like, what's the deal? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just stressed all of a sudden. I, don't, I never get stressed. Well, what is this? It's like, oh, because you have my phone. Like, that's a problem. That's bad. Like, this is a huge problem even for me. And I'm aware of it and I've studied it. And yet reading this Doctors have told us that the elevated cortisol levels are linked to health problems like fertility issues, high blood pressure, even risks of heart attacks because we're so tensed on, did we miss another X update on Twitter update? Do we miss another post? Is there a text going to come through and I can't respond right away? And, and there's this just subconscious tension and stress that they found linked to stress. And they said every chronic disease we know is exacerbated by stress. So it's this dopamine hit. We don't do heroin, but we're hitting dopamine every time we hit the like or every time we see likes. And so subconsciously, when we're away from our phone, there's this distraction that's subconsciously taking us, pulling us, again, the word distraction, pulling apart our mind. It's not fully fixed on God. It's not fully dependent on God. So we need to treat the distractions the same way Solomon tells us in Proverbs to treat the immoral woman. Keep your way far from her. Don't go to the door of her house. Don't hang out on her porch and think you're not going to fall into temptation. Don't say, hey, I'm gonna, let's go get a drink and then we'll see what happens with the immoral woman. No, you stay far away from her. You don't say, hey, come hang out on the bed of my truck and we'll watch the stars and play truth or dare. I'm sure nothing, that's all innocent. Nothing bad's gonna happen. No, you run away. You stay away from her door. You don't go near her. Eliminate the option. Jesus takes it a step further. Solomon is too nice. Jesus says, oh, your right hand's causing you to sin. Cut it off. It's better for that to be removed from you So you enter heaven holy than for that little stupid silly device to lead you into hell. Shut your door. Cancel Netflix. Turn off your notifications. Unplug Xbox. Delete your distracting apps. I told my son, who's now getting to the age of kind of video games, I'm like, yeah, I used to sneak, you know, work and play FIFA on my phone with the little guy running around and I got really good. And then I was like, I just... I think I stole like five hours that week from the church playing FIFA. Like that's unhealthy. And I got convicted, so I deleted it. And I haven't, 
You know, it's funny, our kids grab our phones, we're like, there's no games on here. It's like, yeah, your dad has an addictive problem, so he took the, the games off. That's why we limit, we have boundaries. Like, leave your phone behind, practice it. We, we've often instilled, and, and I'm going to do it again, uh, a cell phone charging place in our home. And, and it's funny, because it's always reminding my wife or I, but mostly me. It's like, hey, I know there's a thing. You want to buy that thing on Amazon, but you do it on your computer when the kids are in bed. You don't need to grab a phone and do, and there's always justifiable, well, I need to order this, or I need to make an appointment for this and do this, but it ends up turning into another half hour of responding to this text or that notification or this, and you have so few hours with your kids, we're giving it to screens. You have to kill that distraction. People might be a distraction, your inner circle, unless they're sharpening you and, and making you a better follower of Christ, they're going to be pulling you away. They're going to be distracting you. They're going to be pulling you apart from Christ. Think about who are your closest friends, the four to five people you spend most of your time with. Are they helping you? Are they be making you become a better? Are they sharpening you as iron sharpens iron? Or are they fools? Because Scripture says that if you hang out with fools, then, then you're a fool. Your, your friends are your future. And so whoever you hang out with, that's going to become who influences you and who you become. Women, you're dating a distraction. All the boyfriends just got mad right now. But if he's leading you into sin, if he's helping you walk away from Jesus, not helping you walk towards Jesus, then women, you need to delete him and allow God to upgrade your boyfriend and find someone who's actually helping you follow Christ. And same thing. Guys, if that girl is helping you walk away from Jesus instead of helping you walk towards Jesus. If she's helping you with boundaries, and hey, that's too far. God's word says we have to honor him with our bodies, not live in sin, doing what married people do when we're not married. We can't be doing that. If you're not having those kind of conversations, then you need to cut it off. It's not, hey, hang out with temptation. It's flee from it. The only kind of temptation you don't get to fight with or talk through or think about is sexual temptation. You only run from it. In scripture, anytime David's like, hey, let's talk about, let's think about this. I wonder if we can kind of, ends in destruction. Joseph's the one who's like, nope, I'm out. I'm running half naked. You, you stripped me to my loins. You got my cloak, but I'm out at great cost to me. I'm running away because the distraction has the power to destroy. And Joseph knew there's a lot of hard things in his life and he's not gonna be a victim of hard things because of his own decisions. People can make their own decisions that led up to hurting him, but he was gonna destroy the distraction. Secondly, focus on what's best. He was focusing on God's will, so he ran away. He deleted the distraction. We wanna be successful. We need to do, of what, do more of what matters, which means we have to have boundaries and we have to understand God's word directs those boundaries and says, yes, there's good things. But you have to say no to some good things so you can have God's best, what he has planned for you. So grow in your nose. This is a great discipline. I'm still learning because I love to say yes. And people love me when I say yes. And then I have other people who aren't happy because I said too many yeses and I couldn't follow through. So grow in your nose. We see Proverbs 4, 25 through 26. Solomon again is telling us, look, let your eyes look directly forward. And your gaze be straight before you. It's so fun when you're, you're learning how to drive and you're like all anxious and you're looking at the hood of the car and you're kind of wandering all over the road. And they're like, hey, just look up like 25 yards. Just that's all you have to do. And all of a sudden you're keeping it between the lines. You're like, this is great. 
Keep your eyes looking forward. Your gaze be straight before you. Don't look to the right or to the left. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Saying, Lord, is this where I'm supposed to go? Looking far of where God's leading you. Is this true? Am I following you? Remember years ago when, when this thing called Slackline came out. I was like, this is awesome. It's just a tie-down strap between two trees. And people were like bouncing on it, doing flips and walking back and forth. I thought, well, I'm pretty good at skating and surfing. I have a good balance. I could do that. So I hopped up on there. And the next thing I know, that thing just spring-loaded, launched me in the air, and I slammed into the ground. And the guys that were on it were like, yeah, you do what everyone does. You just look straight in front of you at your feet where you thought the next foot placement was going to be. You're supposed to look at the end. You're supposed to keep your eyes fixed forward and look at the destination. Look at what God's promised you. If you put your faith and trust in me, I've forgiven you of all your sins and your inheritance is now with me in heaven. Go tell everyone about me. If you die, then you wake up in my arms. If you live, then you get to see more people turn to me. It's beautiful. Obey Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Destroy the distractions and keep your eyes fixed on him. Peter, walking on water, is another great example. Who got, someone got distracted. All through scripture, we see people get distracted. Peter gets out in the boat, wants to be with Jesus. Everything's great. His eyes are fixed forward. And then the moment he takes his eyes off and sees what he thought was utter destruction. And in their thinking of the day, the end, the bottom of the lake was that gateway to hell. So he's like, this way is going to literally destroy me and I'm going to be down. My distraction is going to destroy me. And then Jesus said, hey, keep your eyes fixed on me. And once he got his eyes back on Jesus, he got back out of the water, into the boat, and everything was good. We see a couple areas of prayer. One, we can pray and expect God to help us focus on the plan of that day, his plan for that day, whether it's people he brings to you. And then also pray, hey God, if there's, if you haven't brought anyone, then I'm just going to wait with you. I'm going to sit at your feet like Mary. I'm not going to be too anxious about all the things I could do, all the things that need to be done, all the things that I'm not doing. I'm going to just sit with you then until you bring me someone to be Martha to. And we see this, this intimate conversations with your family, with your spouse, with your kids. Are you putting the phone down? Are you deleting distracting things? Are you putting it on a, on a charge station? You know, one thing I've thought about is even my, my sermon prep, handing my phone off to someone and just, hey, if, if, if my family needs me, bring it to me, but just get the phone out because inevitably there's notifications and there's this and there's this text that inside of me, there's that angst of wanting to be the yes, Brandon. And okay, oh, I'm gonna reply to that, I'm gonna reply to that. And before I know it, it's like four o'clock. Where'd the day go? Oh, I had three notifications I responded to and a couple of them were heavy. So I had to think, but they could have waited. And so having the focus on God's plan for the day, first and foremost. Okay, I'm going to be open and ready. This last week I was doing a couple errands and boom, 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 trying to get them done, trying to get back in the office and get things done for Christmas and Christmas Eve and getting all this stuff. And I went into this one errand. I was picking up some, some car parts. And my dad was a mechanic, so I know the whole shop talk. And I roll in and the guy's like, oh, man, that's a truck. I had a truck like that. And it was all truck stories. I'm like, yeah, it's a truck, you know, like men and... They're like, ah, oh, this is a sweet truck, tow stuff, does truck stuff. And then he gets into this story about his truck got stolen. And he was in San Diego and he was there for cancer treatment. Didn't know he was out with the Lord. And I was like, oh, there's the door. I have all my plan. I got all my stuff I got to do. I'm supposed to pick up the part and get out of here. And now this is the person that God's planned for me to share the gospel with. Because he doesn't know where he's at. He doesn't have peace with the Lord. He's dealing with cancer. And the truck was not the conversation. That was just the pathway to the destination. And so 
So it's those opportunities. We all have that. Whether it's, oh, we're talking about coffee, or we're talking about kids, or we're talking about sports. Like Those are all things that maybe God has put you there to have a common interest in to get you to that spiritual, to get you to the real conversation of, hey, you don't have peace with Jesus. Can I tell you about that? And he pulled up this little pamphlet about his like, Today's journey with Abraham is like Jehovah's Witness, like 800-page doc. I'm like, hey, you know, there's actually Jesus. It's one way, one death, one resurrection. He's going to take your old and give you new. Look at this verse for you. You believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. You confess with your mouth that he was raised from the grave by the Father. You're saved. Paul tells us that. It's that easy. He he looked at me like, whoa. I heard I had to do all this and be all this and become all this. And he's like, ah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I could tell his brain was spinning. He's like, I'm good. Thanks for the prayers. and thank, But it was a good conversation. And you never know what God's going to bring to you. And other times it's just, all right, Lord, I'm just going to sit with you and wait for you to bring me the right person. As we ponder the, the path of our feet, then all your ways will be sure. It says in Proverbs 4.26, when we're destroying distractions and our face is fixed at what's God's best, I started telling you I got excited as as we're getting into the Christmas season. I just love the wise men. And and I hate that the nativity and so many nativity depictions get it wrong and they jam them in there too early and it just ruins God's sovereign plan that he was telling and, and told all the way back through destruction when people were like, why are we destroyed and why are we taken to captivity in Babylon? And God's like, because I got wise men that I'm going to need to hear the gospel and, and Daniel needs to be in, in this group. And so, the wise men, there was two schools. One school produced all of the horoscopes we still have today in the, in the Isles and Vons. The other school of, of Magi in Babylon, they had been taught from Adam and Enoch, hey, look at this constellation, look at the stars. They tell the gospel. They tell the story that God's going to send a son one day. And they, and they had these stars, and they had, and Daniel's there in captivity, and he's among the Magi. And a lot of the Jews, like, like in Daniel, that had the influence in that up. I am. You're welcome. Verse 17, a star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. So as we think about the nativity, I'm not just pulling out topics, but distraction. These guys were of the elite, of the logical, had any an opportunity to have the affluence and, and, and resources and money, but they also had God's word. And what they did with God's word is they sat with God's word. They were the Marys. They had the Martha tension. They wanted to work. They wanted to be all they could be. They wanted to have the vacations and the homes and the influence. But they were the Marys sitting with God's word, gasping in in awe that God would, through destruction and captivity, bring the promise that was brought to them in Numbers 24. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel, as the point which helps us to see the Magi were understanding God's word, but there's no concrete evidence. There's nothing to go on there. It's like, yeah, there's this promise. There's going to be a star, but guaranteed there was a lot of constellations and stars that they were aware of. What made this one different is the angel Gabriel gave to Daniel that helps us understand certainly the confidence they had in Daniel chapter 9, specifically verses 20 through 27, Daniel is told that God had demonstrated to set the rest of time from that day forward on a timetable. Seventy heptads, sevens, or weeks. The word week means a seven. Six important things on God's agenda for all mankind to be fulfilled in this time frame. One, 
to finish transgression. Two, to put an end to sin. Three, to atone for wickedness, to pay for wickedness. And four, to bring an everlasting righteousness. Five, to seal up, fulfill, and make no longer needed vision in prophecy. Six, to anoint the most holy one, which is Messiah. Daniel was further informed that there would be definite divisions of these 70 weeks. First, it would all begin with the issue of a decree to restore and rebuild the destroyed Jerusalem. So this happens when they're in captivity, and God's like, hey, once Jerusalem gets rebuilt and restored, then the countdown begins. From the ensuing of this decree, there would be seven sevens until the city's complete. From that point forward, there would be 62 sevens until Messiah, the anointed one, would be cut off, put to death, and having nothing, fathering no fleshly descendants. Sounds like God, through Gabriel, told Daniel pretty clearly what was going to happen. Jesus was going to be born. He's going to die before he had any descendants. Daniel's told there will be another destruction of the city of Jerusalem. Jesus tells us about that. 70 AD, the temple's destroyed. And it's sanctuary followed by a time of war and desolation. The time of war and desolation will continue until a ruler arises who is of the people which destroyed Jerusalem and its sanctuary the second time. This ruler will start the clock ticking again to complete the last seven, the 17th seven, by confirming a covenant treaty with many, meaning many people and nations, not just Israel alone, but Israel will be among the many for the 70 years of that government. From history, the Magi knew the clock on the 70 weeks given to Daniel had started ticking at 444 BC when Cyrus, king of Persia, ordered the temple and city be rebuilt as recorded in Ezra 1 and Ezra 6. They also knew the city and its walls were not complete until 395 BC, 49 years later, which I'm sure you're like, you better bring that up. I did. So we're good, right? We're tracking. No, this is to show you if you haven't yet studied Daniel and Ezra and you bring back all of these pointers. Someone asked me, hey, where's the Antichrist? And where's it? I'm like, well, it's all through here. And it was also shown that the Magi were the ones. Where are the Sadducees and Pharisees? Where were all the rabbis? Where were all the scholars, the theologians of the day? They were charging and extorting people on the Temple Mount. That's why Jesus made a whip and drove them out and said, you guys, this is my dad's house. Supposed to be praying here. And you guys are running a whole money laundering scheme. But the Magi, the ones that were 10 months to a year or two away, had God's word and they held tight to it and they destroyed the distractions, kept their eyes focused on God's best and waited. The first division of the 70 weeks, which was to be seven times seven, so it was now clear to them that each day in these prophetic weeks was a year, a prophetic year of 360 days. That made it possible for them to calculate the general time of the arrival of the anointed one. Daniel had been told that 72 sevens, 434 years after the seven sevens, the Messiah would be cut off, suddenly put to death. Realizing the Messiah must reach reach full manhood, which is 30 years of age in Hebrew, most ancient cultures, the Magi knew we had to get to him. We have a a short window. So around 4 BC, 3 BC is the beginning of time around the time of Christ's birth, we knew they saw the star, and that was only a little over 30-some years left until his sacrifice was to take place. They knew the Messiah had to come soon because the Scriptures have never been wrong and could not be wrong. It's important to take note that these were men of Scripture reading and looking at the prophetic sky and the original gospel message in the skies, not the pagan astrologers, 
So we see these men were obviously followers of the greatest and most powerful magi, both in Babylon and Persia, Daniel, the servant of the Most High God. And what they learned from the sky was only interpretable in an accurate way by their knowledge of the Holy Scriptures. And Daniel was often, especially through, through your, as you read through Daniel, he's crying out and fasting and, God, these, these Jews here were in sin. I pray for them. We repent and I'm not eating. And what's going on? And what are you doing? And what are you doing? And then, boom, here's what I'm doing. Here's the whole timeline. Enjoy. And the Magi were like, yeah. And some of you, you've grown up going, man, where's the evidence? Where's the proof? It's been in Daniel. It's been in Ezra. It's been in Zechariah. It's all through Scripture. God gave you logical, factual timetables. And to a T, boom, Jesus shows up. And that's why Paul's like the fullness of time. So if you're reading through the New Testament, you're like, well, Paul, fullness of time. That's pretty arrogant. No, that's confident on God's word. And when we know God's word, and when the times get scary or it gets a little dark, it's like, yeah, this is the time that was told to Daniel. It's going to get hard. But in the hardness, God's always carried his people through. Even though we get distracted, God still says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Repent. Don't continue to live in sin. Turn to me. And through that journey, the Magi demonstrated their understanding and knowledge of the Messiah because they show up with gifts. I just got a gift, a little Bible pouch and an iPad holder, like two things. It's like, sweet. These kids spent two months stitching this thing together because they're like, hey, he needs a Bible pouch and an iPad holder as he goes up on stage. I'm like, that's a beautiful gift. You saw my need. The Magi looked at Jesus and they're like, you know what? We need to get him some gifts. And the gifts were brought for a, a king. And they knew they needed to give the, these gifts because they knew he's a king to demonstrate knowledge of the the estimation of his power and purpose. So the Magi spent nearly a year finding the young king. And when they found him, they gave him gold because he was a king. And by this, they declared their understanding of his royal lineage because he was both from heaven and also in the, in the line of David. As God promised, he would have a king that would never leave his reign. Incense was offered only to a god and pagan kings declared they were gods and they demanded their people give them incense declaring their God. So they gave him gold because he's king, incense because he's God, and then they declared with their understanding that he was God with us, but also knowing that God with us was only going to be limited to about 30 years, they brought him myrrh. The Magi legitimately understood because of the prophecy in Daniel that this king was also God and would die as the anointed one, bringing myrrh, the bitter herb of death and burial. They revealed their understanding of Daniel's prophecy that this anointed one would be cut off, put to death. They knew he was the sacrifice for the sins of mankind, the king of kings and lord of lords. These men stand out as a sharp rebuke for the ignorance men of their day and our day. Everyone could have known and responded. They had all the scrolls and teaching in Jerusalem. They had all of the knowledge left in Babylon. And yet they were the only ones that searched. They were the only ones. It's crazy. Scriptures pinpointed his coming and his death and his resurrection. And still, Jesus told them three times, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. Don't freak out. We're going to all have fish tacos once I get out of the grave. Like, just chill. And they're like, ah! They ran away, freaked out, and Peter's cussing. I don't know, bleep, 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 that guy. He's like, oh, Jesus, I don't do that. And it's like, ah, Daniel knew. He told them. The Magi showed up. It's like, I just can't imagine Jesus being like, dude, the Magi came when I was like one years old, and they knew it all. Like, what are you guys doing? You guys even read your Bible? Like, come on. Oh, yeah, you got to write it first. No, but really, <laughs> we think about it. They had enough. 
And as much as you know you need Jesus, are you coming to Jesus? Are you destroying the distractions? Are you giving too much to him? Are you focusing on God's best? Are you listening to the voice of God? And your ears shall hear a word, Isaiah says, behind you. This is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or to the left, God's guiding you. That's his promise. His spirit is going to come. Not just speak to us, but be in us. And it's challenging because so many people, they fall asleep with the TV on, the voices of the TV guiding them, directing them, whatever the news is saying, whatever the radio is saying. God's word's right here. It's always been here. And this is what guided the Magi to Jesus. What do you think that's going to do for you? When God says, I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. Are we letting his spirit guide us? It's not going to let the noise of this world distract us. We're going to destroy the distraction, focus on God's best, and listen to his voice that guides us. God will speak like, like we're little lambs. Hey, don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. Here's green grass. Hey, come. Here's a nice, calm little way. Just get some rest. Get a little bath. Take a little drink and just rest. God says he gives rest to those he loves. And I I clenched my fist at that because there's always projects to do and all the things and I'm always feeling behind. The moment I rest, I'm like, oh, I should have, that two hours I rested, I could have been doing 300 things. He's like, no, just rest, relax, be merry at Jesus' feet. We get distracted most often by the good things and miss out on the best things God has planned. When we focus on destroying distractions and focus on God's best over what we know is, is good, we can listen to God's voice as he directs us. Life is so valuable, and our calling is too great, and God is so good, even greater than we can hope, think, or imagine, he's going to do for his glory in our behalf, and yet we waste it nine years on a phone, swiping, scrolling, tapping. We're letting our, 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 our character and our future be destroyed by someone who's a distraction that needs to be deleted or removed. And, and friends, we just hang out with them because, well, I don't know, it's hard finding friends. Well, follow Jesus and wait for him to bring you a godly friend that's going to help build you up to accomplish his purpose in you. It's fun to see sports when they highlight characters and, and how commentary just attacks people who are, are pursuing God and Brock Purdy's one recently, he said, every time I play, no matter what happens, I want others to see God through my actions. Every time I step on the field, I want to bring him glory, he says. Even when we lose, I want to point God out and thank him for the opportunity. Everything happens for a reason. It's all a lesson from the Lord. It's a game, he says. He said, it's not my life. And Apostle Paul said that God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Brock Purdy was, was the last draft pick, and that person, whoever's picked last, gets the name Mr. Irrelevant. And now he is a contender for MVP and all these awards and leading the Niners on a great season. But he's always humble. He's like, yeah, I blew it. I messed up here, but hey, it's all about the Lord, and I want people to know God. And he said, when I, when I got on my knees and prayed, I didn't play any better that day, but I had a lot more confidence in the fact that Jesus saved me, and I know where I was going to spend my eternity. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. When we're tapping, tapping, scrolling, looking at more and more and more, wanting more, being tempted and, and allowing distraction, we're not focused on the future. We're not focused on what God's promised to do and who he is. It's your choice. Your life is so valuable. Your calling is so great, and God wants to save you, redeem you. As we close in prayer, I invite you to, to just pray with me as we pray that we would destroy distractions in our lives.
God, help us. Help us choose what's best. God, give us the power by your spirit to overcome all the demonic forces and distractions that are trying to tell us something else or someone else is better and and help us destroy the distractions, focus on what's best so that we can hear your voice. So one day we would hear your voice tell us, well done, good and faithful servant. As we pray today, Lord, we, we reflect on, on all the ways that we maybe are resonating and going, yeah, there's a lot of good that we're distracted by. But how do I know what's important? How do I destroy those distractions so I could focus on God? God, help me to fight for what's best. God, help me to hear your voice and those here who are just crying out to you saying, God, help me to focus on what matters most. Would you lift your hand up right now? And I could be praying for you as some hands are already up, just saying, Lord, help me. I'm already struggling. I'm already distracted. I don't know how to fight against this. I don't know how to get victory in this area of my life. Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name that this season where there's so many good things pulling us, pulling our mind, that we would keep our minds fixed and focused on you. Lord, as as an act of worship, as we sing and we turn our hearts and our minds to you, we declare war against the distractions, against the enemy trying to pull our mind and our heart away from you. We pray that your spirit would fill us up and that we'd seek your kingdom and your righteousness first, Lord. We pray today as the first day of our week, we'd honor you with our words, with our actions, with everything we say and do. We pray that we'd bring you glory and honor. And Lord, that we would be able to discern and see the distractions coming. We would destroy them, keep our eyes fixed on what's best. And I pray that your spirit would prompt us again and again and again to be able to hear your voice. And we'd see opportunities, Lord, where where we'd focus on people and prioritize them over tasks or production. And we thank you for calling us your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen.